We'll have a little bit of a shorter sermon today because we are on trying to keep a schedule to make sure we get over to uh, Redeemer. Uh, at least that's the goal. We'll see if it <laughs> we'll see if it happens. I, know. I, I wonder uh, if you have ever watched a f- friend or a family member walk away from the faith. Maybe it was a, a relationship that they preferred over walking with Jesus. Maybe it was hardship in life. Maybe it was just confusion. Or maybe there's just nothing you can really point to. They just wandered off. If you've walked with Jesus for any amount of years, you've probably increasingly seen that as you grow older. And that, that can be very disorienting to the soul. Especially when it happens with people that you looked at and you thought they were so hopeful. They were so strong and stable, and now they've gone off. Or I wonder if you've ministered the gospel, the word of God to someone, maybe multiple times, and you see no response. And sometimes that can actually start to make you wonder, do I, should I even keep doing this? Especially if you think about in evangelism, perhaps you've had that where you share the gospel with multiple people and it just never really seems to stick. And it can become discouraging as one of God's messengers to say, I mean, what's the use? I'm not even, I'm not good at this. Nobody seems to respond when I share. And so we tend to then shrink back. Or on the flip side, maybe you've experienced some times where you've shared the word of God with someone and there, there's great fruit. There's success. And that's exciting. And uh, the danger there is all of a sudden we become to be impressed with ourselves. Maybe we've figured some things out. We've, we've got some tips. Maybe, in fact, if, if other people would learn from us how to do ministry, that they would be better off. And somehow we now have something to offer. Well, in any of those cases, this passage today is a great place to go uh, for us. We've come to a very interesting part of the book of Mark. This is a a chapter almost completely in uh, parables, except for the last scene, a string of parables. A a parable, one simple way of defining a parable is an earthly story illustrating a kingdom reality. It's a simplified way of saying it. We'll we'll unpack that a little bit later. Uh, An earthly story illustrating a kingdom reality. Now, the thing with parables, uh, they, they happen at very key moments uh, in the narrative. So sometimes this is in an actual scene. You know, Jesus is at dinner with uh, eating with Pharisees and tax, uh, the tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees are upset. And so then Jesus tells a parable in response to that. In other point parts, uh, Jesus is giving the parables in the, the tension in the narrative of the, of the whole gospel. And that's what's happening in our scene here. Uh, Mark, uh, if you remember, Jesus comes on the scene as the Son of God, the King, the one who's bringing the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. The King has come. And he's doing some miracles, and there's some sort of a response. Uh, But early on, we see that Jesus sort of stays away from the crowds because he can can see right through them. He knows that they're, they're here not necessarily for his teaching. They want the miracle, right? We saw that earlier on, chapters 1 uh, especially, and then going into chapter 2, where we see this, this question. Now people start wondering what he's doing. What is he about? And why doesn't he do this? Why don't his disciples do that? And then by the time we get to chapter 3, they want to kill him already. 
They want to destroy him. By that point, now his family also thinks he's, he's lost his mind. He's gone crazy. And so they're trying to, to bring him in, wrangle him in. They also go and get the leaders from Jerusalem, bring them up. And as soon as they see what Jesus is doing, they say, this guy's with Satan. Meanwhile, right in the midst of that, Jesus has told his disciples, now you are going to go out and proclaim the kingdom in my name. Right, so you, you have this tension moment. Think, picture yourself as a... So we're, we have this, this tension uh, moment for the disciples. If you think of the disciples, right, they have just been told they are now going to go in the name of Jesus and proclaim this kingdom. Meanwhile, they want to kill Jesus. So there's this tension, right? Because this is almost going to, this perhaps is going to be death by association. Like we are with Jesus, they want to kill him. What, what should we expect of us? Now you can think of, think of this a little bit the way John the Baptist, if you remember the scene, Matthew, uh, Matthew 11. John the Baptist, you remember, uh, is the one, uh, the, the one who goes before the son, the son of Man, who proclaims the kingdom, prepares the way for the Lord, right? And even he even proclaims that he, he understood from God a very clear signal that this Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the one to come. And so he proclaims, look, the, son of, the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, John had a very clear sign of who this man was. And what happened to John? He ended up in prison. On Matthew 11, remember what John does. I don't, I don't, think, it, I don't think he's like totally lost faith, but he's, he's trying to wrap his mind around what, what happened. I'm sitting here in prison, and so you remember what he does. He sends his disciples to Jesus and says, ask him, are you the one? Now, you know, if, if we were ungracious towards John, we'd be like, what are you talking about? God told you he was the one. Of course he is. But if we can read it graciously, we understand. He's, he's struggling with what's going on, right? He's now in prison. And Jesus responds back, and he says, tell, go tell John, the lame are raised, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. I am the one. Nothing's gone wrong, John. Everything is going exactly as planned. And so here Jesus really wants to prepare his disciples, those who come after him and proclaim the kingdom. What should you expect as the word of God is shared during this journey? And this parable is supposed to help us to see that as God's word is shared, we should expect unfruitfulness from the masses and real transformation from the few that God has prepared. That's what I think exactly what Jesus is getting at uh, in this parable as he prepares them for the mission and he prepares us for the mission that as God's word is shared, we should expect unfruitfulness from the masses and yet real transformation from the few that God has prepared. Now this is very important because expectations, as you know, in life is sometimes everything, right? Expectations are going to determine sometimes how you experience something, how you respond. Expectations can be the difference between endurance and quitting. Right? Expectations can be the difference between anxiety and fear and rest. Expectations can be the difference between pride and humility. So Jesus is trying to prepare us to expect rightly. You know, if, if, if you know, take someone that, that said, you know, they, they want to run a 5K in, in two months because, you know, they were talking to a friend. Their friend said that this 5K they did it last year was super fun. And it sounded like, oh, man, I really want to do that. And I, 
well, I haven't run in a couple years. My eating hasn't been good at all. Not sleeping that well. My legs kind of hurt. My knees are hurting. My back's hurt. But this is going to be fun. I know my schedule's kind of crazy, so I'll probably have to do my runs at 5 in the morning. But that'll be fine. This is going to be fun. I, the race is going to be great. You know exactly where that's going, right? If, if your expectations, you don't have the expectations, like, okay, this is going to stink. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good in the end, but it's going to be hard. There's going to be some mornings I wake up at 5. It's going to be cold, drizzle. I'm not going to want to do that. But I, I have the end goal in sight. You have the right expectations now, and then now you, can, you can endure through the hardship, right? Or I, some of you may know this or may not, may not. I actually played the trumpet when I was a kid for about two weeks or so. <laughs> my, my brother played the bassoon, and I always thought that was cool. So I thought, man, I could play an instrument. That looks, that looks like fun. I just for, didn't realize like, all, all the practice that went into it. My cheeks hurt, my lips felt funny, and all, it was just spit everywhere. I didn't even, didn't even do everything. You know? So I was like, I'm not doing that. I just expected if I pick up the trumpet, you know, give me a couple hours, and boom, I'm going to be playing you know, some great music. Expectations matter. So Jesus here trying to prepare us. What should you expect as you share the word of God? Largely, it's rejection. Largely, it's unfruitfulness. But where God has prepared the soil, there will be a real transformation. The difference is not you. The difference is not the word. The difference is the soil. And so uh, the, 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 the scene actually starts quite Interesting, you know, Jesus has the masses again. We won't read it again just due to time. But Jesus has the crowd. He goes out onto the sea because he could then project better. So that that allows him the ability to speak to the whole crowd and the whole crowd can hear him. He has the masses there to hear him. And you could just imagine the excitement in the crowd as they came. Right? Some, Some are there because maybe they want to see another confrontation. I mean, it's fun to see leaders go at it, right? And they, they want to see the Pharisees put in their place once again. You have others who, who have brought their friend, and they want, they want healing. They, they want to see a miracle. You, you have people that are there that are excited for this, the teachers in town, the healers in town. Let's go. This is going to be amazing. And they're there. They're excited. And what happens? But Jesus tells a story, and that's it. That's all that happens in verse 1 to 9 to the crowd. And his story is simply about a farmer going out and sowing some seed. This would be broadcast sowing. We, we still do some broadcast type sowing uh, nowadays when we ran a, had a garden. We, we, would, we would do a buckwheat as a cover crop sometimes. And to do that, you, you, don't, you kind of till the soil a little bit, but mostly you just you're throwing the seed out. And it's going to go all over the place, and you kind of maybe... Put a little bit of dirt, rub it around a little bit, but that's it. That's all you do. You just throw the seed. And that, that would be very typical for sowing seed uh, in the ancient world. You just It's broadcast sowing. And so Jesus starts just telling a story. Hey, thank you for coming, everybody. I got a story to tell you today. There was this day a, a, a farmer went out. He, he, he was sowing his seed. You know what happened. Some of that seed fell on the path. Sure enough, the birds came, ate that stuff. And you know what happened. Some of the seed fell on the rocky ground, came up pretty quick, but had no roots. So as soon as it got hot out, the sun came out, that one died. 
Of course, you, you know what happened. Some seed fell, fell onto the, the place where the thorns grow, and, and the thorns stole all the nutrients from the plant, and the, the plant just couldn't make it, and, and that also just couldn't produce any fruit. And then you know what happens. Some of the seed fell on some good soil, and it produced a crop, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, a, a really nice harvest. Thanks for coming, everybody. I'll be here tomorrow. And, and that's it. You can, you can kind of feel it probably in the crowd. They're starting to talk. Like, you want to come tomorrow? No. Like, I got a busy schedule. I don't got time for this. This guy's just talking about farm. I, I came here to see something. What is this all about? And so the crowds dissipate and it's all over. But there are some... It's not enough. And you see in verse 10, when, when Jesus was alone, those who were around him with the 12, so the 12 that he's appointed and some others, they couldn't take it. They came and asked him about the parables. We need more. Tell us what that was. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is given to them in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So now Jesus here is actually going to give us a little bit of the function of the parables. How do, how do parables function? What's their purpose? Why does he use them uh, in his teaching. And actually, this is uh, a little bit of what Jesus did earlier in the book, not verbally, but ge geographically. When Jesus would not go into the town, he would actually separate himself, remember, to the, to the desolate places. So that if people actually wanted to learn from Jesus, they had to do something. They had to keep going. They had to go out to him. He wasn't just going to go into the masses because you could see right through them. It's they had to keep Going And so uh, the parables have this way of concealing the kingdom reality, hiding it, and also revealing it. And it depends what soil, soil you actually are, whether or not it's going to be having a concealing impact or a revealing uh, impact. Uh, so you can think of, uh, I, I like to think of uh, the parables a little bit like, uh, like a walnut would be one example. If you've ever taken a walnut, if you've ever tried this, this is quite frustrating. You take a walnut and you, get, you crush it with that little cr crusher thing, right? See, at least one person nodding their head. So not, not too many of us try it, but you should try it and you'll probably never try it again. You crush the thing first and then you take one of those, uh, those metal pick things that dentists use on your teeth, which is so crazy. Why do they do that? They just, I had it this past week, scraping my teeth. Anyhow. So you take that thing and you're trying to scrape out the walnut and you keep scraping and scraping and scraping and it just feels like it takes forever. And you finally get this walnut that is tasteless. <laughs> but it is rewarding. <laughs> it is rewarding, right? Because you finally, you've done it, you've worked at it, and you keep digging, you, get, and you finally get the reward. Now, for many people, once you do that once, you're like, I'm not doing that, that's not worth it. But for others, you keep going because you want, you want the good the good walnut. And so parables have this way of either deterring people 
and kind of cutting them off, saying, look, look if, if, if this means nothing to you, the crowds will walk away. But for those who can't handle it, 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 it teaches them, teaches their mind. C.H. Dodd, a New Testament scholar, I like how he talks about uh, parables. He, he says that they're, they're meant to arrest the hearer, the, the, the mind of the hearer, with vividness or strangeness. A lot of times the parables have a strangeness to them. And then he says, uh, leaving the listener with, with a serious doubt of what the exact application was, teasing the mind into active thought. So the, so the parable, he says, is, is intentionally sort of strange on you. You don't fully get where it's going. And so it leaves us with sufficient doubt for the exact application, teasing you, wooing you in, so that you, you'll thirst for more. And so what Jesus is pointing out here is that just like Isaiah, he's quoting from Isaiah 6, as Isaiah was sent out to proclaim to Israel the kingdom, but by and large, he would be fully rejected because the people of God wanted a God of their own making, not, not the true God. That God, he closed it off and said, Isaiah, you will go, you will proclaim the kingdom, but they will see, but not truly see. Jesus says, that, that, is, that is what I, my ministry is. And that is why I give them in parables. Because they will hear it and just walk away. But those who have been given the secrets of the kingdom, who have been prepared soil, they will thirst for more, and they will come, and they will ask. And that's exactly what you see happening. Uh, and then, in, indeed, when, when Jesus even says, and how are you going to understand the parables? Uh, I think he answers it at the end of uh, this string of parables in verse 33 34 there. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so parables then are concealing the kingdom reality and revealing it to others. And so then what is revealed in this parable? Jesus tells us then, verses 14 and following, exactly what this parable is meant to be. Now in parables, uh, parts of the story, uh, you, you could say there's this controlled correspondence. Something in the parable corresponds to something in the context, the, the narrative that you're reading. And there's this connection, and we see it right, right away in verse 14, that the seed that is sown is the word of God. And throughout the book of Mark, Jesus has been proclaiming the word of God. And then you're going to see how the, how the seed goes on to the bad soils and how the seed goes on to the good soils, which is exactly uh, the, the correspondence in Mark. The word of God has gone onto the bad soils. Many and most reject Jesus, and a few whom God has prepared, whom God has commissioned, receive it, and produce fruit. Okay, so that's exactly what he's trying to communicate to them. Let's just go ahead and read that again, verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. In other words, it goes in one ear, right out the other. And this, this happens all the time, right? You share the word with someone, the gospel with someone, and it does absolutely nothing. I mean, there's not even in any sort of interest. It just goes one in one ear, out the other. Jesus says many of those people, brothers and sisters, that you talk to, that you share the word of God to, you should expect that. That's not something gone wrong. That's to be expected 
in sowing the word of the kingdom. Then verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This one turns on the heat a little bit. This is the idea of the, the, the people you, you sit with on Sunday morning. The people that you, you mingle with that small group. Some of those who were excited, they, they received the word with joy. They talked about it. They, they readily told their family about the kingdom of God. They sang about the, the Lord. Well, they actually have no root. And as soon as hardship comes in life, it doesn't cause their roots to go deeper. It causes them to find relief somewhere else, not in the Lord. And they go away. And Jesus says, brothers and sisters, you will find many like that. You will encounter that. As you go out with the word, you will see people, you will know people, they will be among you in the same field, and they will seem full of joy about the gospel. But eventually, as soon as hardship comes, they will go. Don't be alarmed. Verse 18 Others are the ones sown among thorns, and those, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So notice the first one is sort of like this external pressure, this pain that comes on. This second one is more pleasure from the inside, this desire for the things of the world. And here again, you have this plant that seems to be growing. There seems to be an excitement about the word. But pleasure that you can get apart from God is too enticing. And before long, Jesus says, you will have those among you who the world is just too enticing. And Jesus says, don't be alarmed. You should expect it. And then, finally, he gets to the good soil. Verse 20, but those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Oh, there's discussion on whether or not this is a massive, abundant harvest or just a normal one to be expected. Either way, we can keep it right in the middle and just say, this is real transformation. This is real fruit. And there's the strong contrast. The, the first three soils didn't produce anything. They, a plant came, but no fruit actually happened. Jesus says, in the good soil, it will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. There will be a harvest. Because when the word is actually sown and it takes root, it will bear fruit. And so, again, I think the meaning of what Jesus is trying to prepare them, as God's word is shared, you should expect unfruitfulness in the masses, but in the few that God has prepared, there will be real transformation. So just reflecting on this, here, here's where I think I would think that the disciples and as us as God's people, those who are 
blood-bought by the Lord Jesus. I think what the, the parable is meant to have, how it's meant to land on us, is at least three things that all begin, be not. Be not disoriented when others fall away, especially those who you thought were most hopeful. You even see this in the ministry of Jesus, right? Judas, one of the twelve who walked around with Jesus, saw the miracles. I mean, he's, he was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, no doubt. And for 30 pieces of silver, he would choose that over Jesus. Or the Apostle Paul had a friend, Demas. Demas actually ran with Paul and, and risked his life for the sake of the gospel. And Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, hey, Demas, he's deserted me. Having loved this present world, he's left. So this, this happened in the early church. This has happened through the ages. This will always happen. And Jesus here wanting us to hear, do not be disoriented. This is to be expected. And I would especially say to, to some of you younger folks, um, this is, is only going to increase as you get older. You will see more and more of your friends and family members who you thought were the real deal eventually not be in the faith. That's not easy. Uh, I know I've, I've watched my, my wife. I, you know, I didn't grow up in the church, but I watched my wife kind of watch most of her youth group that she grew up with. There's just a few of them standing anymore. The world is enticing. The pain of the world is hard to deal with. And if you're not true soil, your roots won't go deeper from those things. It will just get plucked out. So we need to prepare ourselves. Be ready. Don't be disoriented when someone close to you who you thought was walking with Jesus walks away. Second, uh, I think the parable helps us, tells us to not be discouraged. Be not discouraged by the lack of effectiveness of word ministry or the lack of results in word ministry. It can be very discouraging to share the gospel with people, share the word with people, and you feel like it just keeps doing nothing. Yeah, have you experienced this? When we think about evangelism, actually, I, I think if we were to have an evangelism discussion uh, for the history of Crossway, I guess, well, I guess we came five months in, but for the history since we've been here, we've always struggled at evangelism. It's never been a strong suit for us. doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just means that we're not that great at it. And I just wonder if, if some of it is we just get discouraged over time. Like, it doesn't work from us. And so we just shrink back. And perhaps this parable would be a good place for us to go, wait, wait a second, hold on. I ought not to judge the effectiveness of the sower or the, the seed based on the results. That, that's not the way the parable works. It's the soils. And we are called to cast the seed, to sow and God will, God will see fit where the seed grows. But then it also takes a lot of the pressure off. Like, we're just called to sow. That's it. It doesn't mean we can't work on techniques and stuff like that. That's fine. But we don't pay attention to ourselves. And then third, uh, I think the parable tells us to be not impressed when there is success. 
Now, I, I love this section of Mark, and I was sort of disappointed to have to, to do this passage on a short, uh, a short day when, when there's uh, baptisms and membership stuff. But then I thought, man, this is perfect. Like, we have eight people joining the membership today, six people being baptized. What, what a temptation to all of a sudden go, hey, like we're, we're figuring some stuff out. Man, like our, our, our things are going well. We're doing, we're, we're doing this good. We're doing that good. Our technique here is great. This is, you know, we, we have something to offer other churches in the city. Come learn from us. I mean, all these temptations can be like, hey, we're really doing something. And I, th- I think the parable itself is so fitting. If you've ever tried to, to, to garden, you realize soon enough, you do it for a couple of years, that you can do something one year and you have a great harvest. You do something the next year the exact same way, and it's a terrible harvest. Because the parable, it's not about the sower or the seed that's changing. It's the soil. There are many faithful churches in this city that are not having baptisms regularly. They're not having memberships. And they're being faithful with the gospel. So may we not ever be a church that's looking at others and saying, oh, look, we've got some memberships coming and some baptisms Like, let us not look to our own technique. Let us not be impressed with ourselves. We want to celebrate God and his work in people. It is a wonderful joy to to hear how God's God's grace is at work through the ministry and work in people, changing people from within. That's great, and we should celebrate that. It's okay to look at methodology and say, you know, this was helpful, but let us not ever think too highly of ourselves as if we've figured something out. Because we could do the same thing next week and nothing happens. Let's keep the focus on Christ, on his work, and we are simply sowers and we submit fully to him. But we, we do want to celebrate. I mean, what a miracle. If you're here and a follower of Christ, that you were made good soil, how in the world did that happen? Soil does not make itself good. God in his grace has changed you and caused you to produce fruit. Now, sometimes we're not the best... Uh, you know, the best person to, to determine whether or not we're producing fruit. Sometimes that's actually the pain of life where we feel like nothing's happening. And it's the, the church around you to say, no, God's at work here. God's doing a good thing. So don't be d- fully discouraged here if you're, you feel like, man, I'm not, I'm not growing any fruit. Ask other people sometimes how you're doing. And that could be much more encouraging than always evaluating ourselves. But praise God. If you are of one of the good soil, that's the other way that I think God would have us say, not impressed with us, but wow, God, are you merciful. Wow, are you gracious. The masses are unfruitful. Why am I fruitful? Because of your grace. How does that happen? I was just at this wedding yesterday, and this couple, uh, and I'll end with this. We'll go to the Lord's table. This couple, though, was, uh, they were at the church. I, I came to faith. I started going to this church where Danica had grown up, and it was like a two weeks in or three weeks in or something like that. We were at this Sunday school class, and I had just come to faith. And uh, the, the woman said that she's like, I still remember it to this day that in, during that Sunday school class, the teacher asked us all to break up into separate groups to pray. And right, right when it started, you stopped us, and you were like, wait, wait, wait. I've, I've never prayed aloud. I don't know what to do. And, and then they just said, well, it's, you just talk to God aloud. Oh, okay, okay. I found that hugely encouraging. I don't remember this story. I just found it hugely encouraging. Like, why, why in the world am I still here walking with Jesus? 
It's not because I'm smarter than other people. In fact, I'm, if you know me, you know that's not true. It's not that I humbled myself more than other people. No, I'm a super proud person. Why am I walking with Jesus today? Because of his grace. Because God promises to keep his people. He's the farmer. He will care for his soil. He's the perfect gardener and knows how to care for his plants. And if that's you today, we should celebrate that. And we'll do that by partaking of the Lord's table. We are God's people because of the shed blood of Christ by his grace to bring us to himself. If you're a follower of Christ today, you are welcome to partake uh, at the table uh, this morning. It's not about direction, but a, or it's not about perfection. It's about, it is about direction. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you do not proclaim him as the king, then we ask that you not partake uh, of the Lord's table. But if you're here walking with Jesus, striving to walk in repentant faith, then we invite you to come. Come to the inner part of the aisles and then return to your seat and we will partake together.